Welcome to the Pages to Pictures podcast, the show where we discuss the art of adaptation from one storytelling medium into another. Each episode revolves around a single film based on pre-existing stories or franchises and asks three questions specific to the adaptation. Your hosts are James Janowski, giant Cincinnati Reds fan, screenwriter, and screenwriting instructor at the School of Visual Arts in New York City and Screen Experience at ScreenExperience.com. Skid Marr, a founding member of the Glass Cannon Network, podcaster extraordinaire, and a guy who gets paid to play role-playing games. And Andy Schmidt, former Marvel Comics editor, writer of comics, graphic novels, video games, children's books, former director of intellectual property and development at Hasbro, and founder of the online comic book school, Comics Experience. Now get ready for the nerdiest podcast in history. And welcome to Pages to Pictures. Welcome to Pages to Pictures, the podcast where we talk about adaptation. I am one of your hosts, Andy Schmidt, and I am, as always, joined by Skidmar. Skid? Hey, that's me. It is. I'm glad to inform you of that. James, <laughs> are you here hey. too? James I'm here, Janowski. and I'm not Skid. All right, so we've oh. got Skid. I'm so skid sorry. And two not Skids. Yeah, <laughs> me, me too. This is the <laughs> most depressing morning I've had in a long, long time. Just the realization that I'm not Skid. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. Uh, I mean, don't don't beat yourself up. All right. Well, Solo, a Star Wars story, came out in theaters. Um, so that happened. And a lot of people saw it, but not as many as Disney expected, it seems. Um, and reviews seem a bit mixed. I mean, overall positive from from reviews that I have read or watched. Um, and fan reaction seems to be fairly positive, but it seems like there's a, a little bit of a of a, a drop in enthusiasm. Um, and that could come from a number of places. It could come from franchise fatigue. This came out just five months after The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi had mixed reviews from fans not so much from critics um but from fans so um some interesting stuff to watch in terms of what's going on sort of with the business of star wars that's not typically what we discuss we talk about adaptation and this of course isn't a straight adaptation it is a sequel slash prequel i guess or i guess prequel i don't know it fits in the middle somewhere so it's a would this be considered a sequel to to films placed in the timeline uh, uh, prior to it? I don't know. That's baffling. Now, now I'm going to so, be thinking about that all day. Um, I'm so confused by the timeline. I, I just, I don't know. <laughs> um, so we do have our... I guess it's a sequel to uh, Re 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 Revenge of the Sith? Yeah, and a prequel to Rogue One. Yeah. Except not really, because there are no characters that are in both of those. Right. Anyway. I don't know. Anyway, let's not get bogged down in minutia. That's what other podcasts are for. Um, <clears throat> all right, we have four questions for this one. Um, two of them provided by Skid and two of them provided by myself. So um, let's dive in, shall we, gentlemen? All right. Sure. Question number one, let's talk about structure. This film appears to have a very different act structure than other Star Wars films. Does that affect how we feel about it being a Star Wars film? And what is that structure? Um, if we need to get into that. So, um, guys, one of you want to go first? 
I was wondering if you could just go through with because you came you drafted this question. What do you what do you see as the act structures before I can comment? Because I think that you look at these films, or at least this film, uh, a little bit differently than I may when it comes to act structure and how that how it works with the cinema. Okay. Uh, yeah, screenplay. I felt that this film actually was closer in in pacing and in act structure to something like Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, which was also, of course, written by Lawrence Kasdan. Um, so it was it was interesting to me that that it felt like it had a bunch of shorter acts and the, and you know acts are typically uh defined as you know the rising action and then a a fairly major turning point um and of course there can be you know there can be sequences and scenes and that they have turning points as well so this could be debated obviously but uh what i saw generally speaking was uh that you're opening so spoiler alert folks we're just going to go through the whole movie here. Uh, the, the, your opening sequence, which on uh, Corellia, which ends with Han and Kira getting separated, sends the narrative into a very different direction. So that is a complete act where, where I'm standing. Um, then the whole act, the whole uh, bit of him being in the Imperial uh, Navy, uh, meeting Beckett, which again, it becomes a major turning point when he leaves and he's met Chewie now. Um, then the heist itself um uh you know where he becomes where which ends with him becoming indebted to crimson dawn um then when he meets kira again and he meets uh what's his name quinlan Voss, is that right did i get that right um and then that ends with a turning point when he gets sent off on a new mission i think it's Dry dryden Voss. that's that right. what you're saying dryden Voss. quinlan Quinlan or Quinlan something is the most common. I've already got my continuities mixed up across the stream. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Come on. Um, so then from there, then they gather the troops. There's like a whole sequence of, of sort of getting everything together, getting the ship together. Um, and, and, and then they go on the, the uh, camp heist and the robot rebellion, which then sends, the, the story in another direction the escape in the Kessel run uh, and then uh, which ends with them on the refining station for the fuel and dealing with the marauders which then has another major turn and then the confrontation with Dryden Voss and Beckett in the end in the final act so I think you could fairly convincingly debate one or two of those but I think I think some of them are pretty strong Especially when you consider the turning points for characters and and plot, I mean, I think it's it seems like a nine act film to me. Well, I guess when it comes to structure, what are you what are you comparing it to uh, within the Star Wars? What other Star Wars films are you comparing it to? Because the Last Jedi, for me, uh, the screenplay itself was uh, I thought it was a I thought it was a bit of a mess. Uh, but I thought the, some of the ideas and what they were they were talking about and 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 dealing with I thought was interesting. Are we talking about maybe the original trilogies in their structure? Um, are we? Um, because for me, this film it starts off with I'm expecting him. He's working his way back to get Kira. That's what that's what this is movie is setting up. And then as we head into uh, uh, the the where uh, Drayden Voss is and all the his henchmen. Uh, she's there, and that kind of just changed everything. And all of a sudden, the movie went in another direction. 
And I thought that was, um, uh, it did dissipate a little bit of what I thought the movie, where it was going. Uh, like a movie like Raiders of the Lost Ark, we all know what they're after. They're all after the, the Ark. It's in the title. Um, and this, it seemed to go from one, and, and maybe if that's how you want to do it, uh, I don't know if I'd necessarily do it, but different acts where we go from one little set piece and uh, goal to another one, to another one, to another one. Um, and I, I, I'm not quite sure if that helped the film. Well, that that's kind sense. of the question. Like, does it, does it, does it work? And like I said, we could spend, we could spend the full hour debating, you know, exactly what his time structure is, but those, those sequences, if we, we'll just call them sequences to sort of take the, is it an act? Is it an, is it not an act debate out of it? But those sequences, um, they come more quickly than most sort of major, you know, as you put it, set pieces do in the other, the other Star Wars films. So, um, so I think the question is, is it effective? Does it still feel like a Star Wars film? Uh, or, or does that really change the perception of it for, for your fans? Because a lot of, you know, in, in this case, as we talk about adaptation, while this isn't obviously a strict adaptation of, of other material, but it is part of a world and there's, there are adaptation aspects of it, which we'll get into some more. But I, that's really the, the question, James. Does it, does it work for you? Does it, well, does it not well, work for the film? I actually think... And actually, I think, oh, God, I'm going to show off that I'm a Libra here. Um, <laughs> uh, in one way, I think it works. And in another way, it doesn't. I don't think it works. For the franchise itself, I actually like the idea that they've attempted to do something a little different. They're giving us a different type of uh, of storytelling than we're used to, where the adventure film, where there's a goal, destroy the Death Star, you know. Uh, geez, that seems like all of them, isn't it? <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> And and then so for that I like the idea that it has a different feel in it, uh, but it still to, for me at least felt like a Star Wars movie. Um, and then I guess on the other hand, if you're going in to expect that from the Star Wars movie, it, uh, you you may be uh, not as happy with how the how the film plays out over the two and uh, two hours and fifteen minutes. Skid, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I didn't it it didn't have the structure of a traditional star wars movie but i also liked it better than most of the star wars movies that have come out uh lately although i still didn't love it um yeah i uh i don't know i don't know like i i try i you told me to say watch out for the act structure uh it's like raiders of the lost ark and i was like okay but i i was just telling you guys i was at the uh um PaizoCon, like over the weekend i spent five days um uh, without sleeping and uh, my blood alcohol content was probably about 60 the rest of which being <laughs> adrenaline and uh so I, if it's just it's having a hard time like paying attention at all but uh i i, I don't know i liked it <laughs> <laughs> just a little, little glimpse behind the behind the screen right that does explain know, that does explain why your voice sounds so sexy today yeah, well, no. <laughs> which which Five was which was actually which was actually we'll the, the next question is why does Skid sound so sexy? <laughs> I didn't see that on the list. <laughs> yeah, I, I think like I think for me it it I liked it. I liked because it you know some of the other films feel a little bit, little bit long, and I've seen this now twice. I went uh, I went opening. I was I was also at a convention, so there. Um, I went uh, I went uh, I went and saw it with a buddy in Houston. And I liked it, but the screen was dark. And I know, uh, I know, James, you said you had that same thing. And then 
And then oh, I- actually, it's not. It's not. That's that's the film. Like that's the way it was shot. Like there's so there's so many uh, the, how, for whatever reason. Like there's just so many scenes where like you can't make out people's faces. Well, just all this stuff. Well, James and I had the same experience on the second viewing. I took my kids to see it because they wanted to see it, which made me happy. Um, and uh, and it was much it was much brighter. It was much clearer on on the on this completely different screen. Yeah. And James had the same experience. He saw it once and it was dark, and once where it was bright. Yeah, I, I saw it and I was um, I was I and I actually left a little angry at the end of the, the film the first time. I was like, I can't believe this is what they're showing me. You know, I know it just it, all all the problems that they had with production and the and the and the directors and you know the the acting coach and all this other nonsense. And I was like, well, now I see why. And then I went back to see it again just to prepare it because I also didn't want to believe that's the way it looked. The the, the cinematographer cinematographer on it is a a really good DP and is a Bradford Young, and I just I was like, there's just no way he could have shot that and made it look that way, unless Lord Miller, the other director, somehow this is what they wanted to look like, and it looked like a Star Wars movie the second time, and I was I I had a good time, and I was like, this is the way I should have felt the first time I saw it, so uh, I actually walked out liking it uh, on, yeah, on it was, the second view. I had I had a just, similar experience where I and I think part of it, and we'll get into some of this later, is like I w- I had sort of mixed feelings on first viewing about. Oh, they did this. Oh, they did that. I expected that to be different or whatever. And so it was just, it just wasn't what I expected in a lot of ways. And then, you know, I feel like you see it once, you make your peace with that. And then I was able to come to a, you know, clean on the second viewing and the screen was brighter. And, and I actually enjoyed it quite a bit on the second viewing. I liked it on the first viewing, but I enjoyed it more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I know this isn't one of our questions, but, um, uh, the first time I saw it, there was moments where they were they were obviously uh, reverse engineering information from the you know the original trilogy, and sometimes I felt like it was a little forced. I'm like, oh guys, come on, you don't need to like you know make me giggle and laugh, force me to try to giggle and laugh here because that will remind me of the Empire Strikes Back. But the second viewing, I didn't seem to have that problem. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that, I don't know if it was the yeah, and we will we will talk about that. That's uh, in question number three. But before we get to question, but before oh, we get to question number three, well, I think we'll be able to talk more about it in, in three. Not, not that I don't mind jumping around. Question number two, though, let's let's kind of move on here. This is the first Star Wars movie to not feature the Force in any meaningful way, good thing or bad thing. Um, and this was not a question that I that I came up with one of Skids, but it reminded me as soon as Skid sent this question, it reminded me that with one of my editors for one of the Star Wars stories that I've worked on. Um, I I once told him that to me, Star Wars wasn't just science fiction or it wasn't just fantasy. Like there had to be some aspect of the Force in order for it to to be Star Wars, whether that be Jedi or Sith or or a Force sensitive. You know, that the Force had to be a part of it in order for it not to be just some other universe. That was the defining thing that made Star Wars unique. And then here I am watching a Star Wars movie where there's no reference to the Force or hardly any reference. I think there's a lightsaber that shows up at one point briefly, and um, and it didn't bother me at all. But it didn't bother me at all, I think, because I already knew the main two characters. I already knew Han and Chewie, and they were so cemented in my mind as part of Star Wars that it that it it didn't it didn't bother me. Which was never to you know, like I never felt like it's not a Star Wars story in the in the sense that like it doesn't fit or doesn't work. Like you can do tons of other stories within this universe. The universe 
fast. Um, but for me, that was that's sort of the thing that makes it unique. But it didn't detract from the film, is yeah, what would, as, as what I'm saying. Yeah, it. Uh, you know, they obviously I didn't think they would have they would be able to put the force in there because uh, you know if we go back to the original trilogy, you know. Han Solo doesn't believe that mumbo jumbo, whatever you know, whatever he said that that uh, he doesn't believe in the Force. He didn't think it was you know just some kind of mumbo jumbo stuff. Um, so I, for them to show him seeing the Force or being a part of the story would have kind of negated what would in this timeline come later when we see that character. Yeah, Skid, what do you think? Yeah, uh, I was actually gonna say what James said that uh, that's their. Han Solo doesn't believe in the Force like at the beginning of of New Hope, so I mean it wouldn't have been in his backstory. It wouldn't have made any sense for it to show up. And I may I think it makes the universe feel bigger, which is a big problem. You know, in the prequels, it's like the universe just felt smaller and smaller with all these interconnections. And I thought to focus on a part of the galaxy where they're just they're they're the Force. People don't see it. People don't don't have it in their lives. Like I thought, like that opens up a new kind of part of it. And and also speaking, I I loved Corellia. I love seeing Corellia uh, because I think my only real experience with seeing it, apart from like hearing the name, was in um it was Rogue Squadron, which is the video game that came out for the uh, Nintendo sixty four, like back in like nineteen ninety eight. Uh, you one of the missions takes place on Corellia, and it's presented as like this this uh earth-like kind of a gaia planet just all very green and blue and like forested and everything and i was like oh but it was like it makes much more sense as a place where there's all this shipbuilding to be this blade runner industrial nightmare and i thought that was really cool i just especially i'm just i don't know i'm all blade runnered up uh, all the time i want, to <laughs> I want everyone to be blade runner forever but uh that was so cool i just i love that that's so different. Like, no, it's what this franchise needed. We needed to see something other than a, a Death Star and a you know the Force and all the other stuff that we've seen in the, all the the prequels and the the trilogy. Everything you know, it's just we needed to see something a little different. And and unfortunately, the movie's not doing that well. But this is what this franchise, I think, actually well, needs. Yeah, let's and a lot of people are complaining about the, the the first act, the first act of eight, I guess. Um, but, but saying, but I loved it because I you know I love the the crime boss. Uh, I loved. Uh, uh, all the stuff with him, you know, trying to join up with the Empire, left all that stuff. Yeah. The the one thing, uh, well, we we may get to this a little bit, so I'll I'll, I'll uh, stop what I was going to say. We, uh, Andy, you were going to mention something. No, 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 no. I was I was just going to say it's interesting that that I think the three of us agree that that the star that Star Wars as a franchise should be pushing the envelope of what a Star Wars story is right that should be pushing which which i felt like rogue one did um i felt like last jedi did um and i feel like this one does but it's interesting to see like you know sometimes you know when you've got a really rabid fan base they push back and uh and and i don't know if that's what we're we're seeing it's also worth noting that you know this movie's ma already made over a hundred million dollars in the u.s like i mean to say it's performing poorly, we're saying that <laughs> only because Star Wars movies usually land in the top ten of all time. Um, <laughs> right, and this one may not. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, 
to see like $84 million for the weekend domestically. And it's like, oh man, what a disappointment. It's like, oh man. Right. Like that's, where, old. that's where we landed. Well, yeah. The, the the other thing is the the they were they were projecting 130 to 150 for the 40 for the for the four day holiday and so uh that fell you know down it was only 103 i think so it seems like a failure because they were expecting right. you know yeah it's interesting though because you know leading up to this one i just i, I mean i just didn't think the enthusiasm was was there no, just from the it, folks that i definitely not you know, just run with, you know, and talk to on a regular basis. Like, it just seemed like there was a, there was a lot of like, I'll see it eventually. Like, I'll probably see it in the theater, but I may not make it on opening weekend. Well, I, I, you know, I I wasn't going to go see this the opening weekend, but I knew that we were going to be recording this because of The Last Jedi. I know we've never spoken about The Last Jedi, but listen, I, I felt, you know, the way that that story was being told, I felt a little bit betrayed by the way that they, what they did with that film. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to jump out of my, you know, home just to go see right. this. Well, that's, that's actually, uh, you're, you're making exactly the point that I was, that I was going to, that I was going to make, which was, which was that, oh, that, sorry. that <laughs> you know, when you, on a franchise, you know, the, how one film does often isn't an indicator of how that, of, of that film. It's an indicator of the previous one or two films. And another really good example of that is, um, you know, the X-Men franchise where you had X-Men three, which did gangbusters at the box office, but really disappointed fans followed up by X-Men origins Wolverine, which <laughs> still did well at the box office, but really uh, disappointed uh, fans. Oh, man. <clears throat> and, and then you had, and then you had first class, which fans for the most part loved, but didn't, but you know, the box office fell. And, and but it started to turn fans around, and then you had the Wolverine, which was still, you know, on that sort of suffering from that lull. But again, was was for the most part rebuilding that fandom so that they could get back to, you know, making actual money with with good movies. But it took it took two films to sort of turn that around after the bad mojo of you know the enthusiasm just wasn't there, you know, just wasn't there because the mm. you know they had two. And you know, it obviously you didn't care for the Last Jedi. I really like the Last Jedi, but um, so maybe my enthusiasm was a little higher back then. It's interesting. It's interesting, though. I mean, this is all obviously this is outside of sort of you know what our adaptation discussion is, but but I find that like I'm a I'm a box office mojo like like obsessive. Like I look at that mm -hmm. stuff all the time, and I love when they you know they set those these things up on the website where you can compare. How, you know, films to each other and stuff like I'm, I don't know why I'm so obsessive about it. I just find it fascinating. Um, yeah. All right. Question number three. <laughs> I, I'm not sure we came to an answer. On that, but... uh, I think we, <laughs> no, wait, I think we good, did. I think we all agreed that it actually was a good thing. Good thing. Yeah, it was a good thing. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm a little surprised that I landed there, but I, but I did. I definitely did. So number three, reviews and fan comments seem split on the use of established continuity. There are several references or allusions to other films and some scenes alluded to in previous films that are outright depicted here, uh, which is what you were, were talking about, James. We'll have you start this off. Was this handled well or not so much? So, James, you had already kind of launched into it, so take it. You know, like I said, the first time I saw it, because of the cinematography, I was like, ugh. And it didn't bother me the second time. I, I still think that they could have gotten away... I don't want to say get a, 
get they gotten away with it but they i don't know if they necessarily needed to do the kessel run i don't know if that was like something like that i don't know if it was necessary um i think they they could have i don't know if we needed to see that and there were moments where with the card game and uh you know and even some of the dialogue and uh uh where it was you know we were harkened back to seeing uh empire strikes back when they you know lando and and uh and han are are, are talking and you know i i don't know if it was necessary i i, I almost wished it hadn't been that it could have just stood on its own and maybe they're Felt like they they knew what they were doing, and I could see them doing it, and what they were up to, and that that did bother me, because um, uh, I, I I think if they would have just tried to tell a good story, and then maybe hit a point here and there, uh, from our knowledge of of the of the original trilogy, I think I think that would have been a better plan than really making sure the shoehorn and all of this stuff into this film, so that way they can say, ah, we did it. Yeah, I think it wasn't generally as heavy-handed as some of the other movies have been with kind of cramming that, you know, those references in. Like I say, uh, in Rogue One, like uh, uh, what Walrus Man and what's his name is showing us, like, hey, look, hey, we're the evil guys from blah, 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 you know. Uh, but I felt the same way. <laughs> I was like, I, yeah, I... I don't really want to see the Kessel run. I, I don't need to see that. This doesn't have to be that. I, was, I didn't sit in my seat thinking, oh, man, I hope we get to see how he did the Kessel run in under 12 parsecs. Oh, my God. Like, not just. The, <laughs> and he rounded down. He rounded down. Oh, the math is so, so thrilling. It changed my whole childhood perception. Of, like, I don't care. Like, you didn't need to do that. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I thought, but I, yeah, I think generally like this, as far as these movies have gone, like this is a lot more low key with that stuff, but, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't need to see that. The other one thing I did like that I think people didn't seem to like was the moment where he got his last name. Um, I like, it, it made me think of uh Godfather two, this little like Ellis Island moment. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, got a, I got a kick out of that. Um, you know, yeah, that's that's the one I've seen people complain about the most, and you know it it didn't bother me, um, which is surprising to me. Like I feel like that's the type of thing where I've been like, oh, that was ham-fisted. but yeah, it didn't, it didn't really bother me at all. Yeah, I'm I did a little groan. I I, I can, I, I I can definitely like they, see that. Yeah, yeah, I think it could have been handled a little bit better, and I almost wished he would have said it. Um, like he had to come up with a, an, another name so. But then, so that way he wouldn't be known. But then it wouldn't have been a Godfather Two reference. Oh well, if, if that's what they were going for, then I, I never well, thought also, about the Godfather I reference. I think it. I think it's different. Uh, and this is kind of. I don't know. I don't know that anybody gave it this much thought. But I think if he says he's solo, like he does say he's alone, but that's like def that's like defeat in that moment, right? Like. Uh. I don't have anybody. I'm all alone, right? And and it and it's like a sadness. And then the guy says, "You're solo." And then like he starts to own that. Like it, it it like almost gives him permission to be alone, as opposed to somebody saying, "I'm going to be alone, and I'm going to name myself a lone guy." Like that's that's a different uh, that's a different thing because that's a choice, and he wasn't making that as a choice. Mm -hmm. And I think that actually fits with the character as we know it. There was. 
I actually thought I've, I've seen some of the complaints being like, this doesn't seem like this would be the guy that, you know, or, or such and such a scene, like that he, the fact that he helped rebellions are like, well, that makes, that destroys his arc in the new hope because now we know he was going to like, no, it shows that he's, he's got that heart yeah. to him. Right. And, and, and we can see at times, you know, that heart breaking, which I think perfectly establishes who he is at the beginning of, of a new hope. Um, yeah, like we're seeing how he was a good guy a, or a better guy, you know, as he was younger. And then he got more jaded as he got older. And then he gets brought back, you know, to being like, that's the kind of the right arc. Yeah, I actually thought that <laughs> stuff was the character stuff I thought was handled quite well. I mean, you know, and your point to the Kessel run <laughs> sort of sort of like, you know, some people, some people, uh, you know, Saying like, well, I don't think this movie was necessary. Like, or I don't think the Kessel Run was necessary. Like you were saying, or I don't think whatever was necessary. And at some point, you know, I just wind up landing on this. Well, no movie is necessary. Like, like they're yeah, all that, entertainment yeah. at the end of the day. Like, like, like I don't like. Yeah, where I... does this? You know, where's this? Like, had it been? Had they decided that they wanted uh, an escape route through a? You know, had it been some other nebula cloud or? whatever and they weren't trying to get to kessel you i think you would have heard just as many fans go that was a perfect opportunity to do the kessel run and they blew it you know like you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah. right yeah there, there's no way you're gonna win uh yeah yeah i don't agree with the people who are saying that this film was unnecessary i i don't agree with that you know at all i, I right. don't even understand there that were mentality. two yeah there I, were two I don't get the I, I don't get the necessary thing. Right, I was just like, man, I, I was hoping they'd show the Kessel Run, but now I'm in the hospital for three weeks. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. There's no necessity. Right. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> but there were there were two uh, allusions to to the original trilogy that I loved, and the first one because it just cracked me up was Lando calling him Hand throughout the whole movie. Yeah, that was funny. That was like, good. I loved yeah. it. And I loved it because uh, they play it off in this movie where you don't like, you don't have to know that Lando calls him Han in Empire Strikes Back because he calls him Han here. And it's, it's kind of an insult. Like you're not worth me calling you by your name. So it totally works in the context of, well, this, well, of this film. I, you know, I, I remember when it was it, did he do that? I thought it was there was a reason why he did that because didn't uh, 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 Solo mispronounces his name, Lando's name, uh, and so he that's why he called instead of Han Solo he said that Han Solo, Han. Well, uh, maybe I, maybe I'm maybe misremembering. Maybe, I don't that, think but, he uh, did, but maybe he maybe he did. But he, but if yeah. even if that's the case, it still works in the confines of this of this film, you know. And so I, I oh, of course that yes, that was, definitely. That was great because it just now it just adds to my my enjoyment of you know like I wasn't somebody that said like well, why does he call him hand like that's like I don't need that explained but the, but if you can use it in this film to be a to be a thing to add to the quali to to add to this film then great like use the thing it's it's a it's a piece on the board so use it if you can use it well in the and and the other the other one uh, is is the I thought and I haven't seen anybody else really talking about this somebody probably is somewhere but I thought that the final confrontation between Han and Beckett was a pretty clear statement 
that Han shot first. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I haven't <laughs> seen anybody else really talk about that, but I loved it. I just thought it was great. I did too. No, I, that that was the first thing I I thought when it happened. I was like, "This is uh, this is the yeah. he shot first. And matter of fact, people in the, the theater behind me were like going, "Yeah, he shot first." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and you know I think everybody I think knew it's it. an interesting it like, thing uh, where you know Disney. I don't think they're going to go back and like yet re-release you know the original and show that you shoot first or anything like that might be a little disrespectful <laughs> or whatever. You know there might be political things going on that that we're not aware of. But in this film, something new, they could make it very clear that on first. I thought that was I thought I had a lot of fun with that. But then. uh uh, were there any other sort of references to you guys that you either really liked or thought didn't didn't work detracted from the from the film? Uh, I I don't I for it's not a really a reference, but for some reason I just don't like train heists generally. And when I saw there was going to be a train heist in this movie, I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know why that is. I guess it was okay. But just, just, they're just not my thing. The only one I liked was the one they did in Breaking Bad. Uh, so, uh, but no, that's all I can think of. <laughs> Sorry. The, the, there were two moments in the film that I, um, that I thought were pretty funny. And I, I'm, I'm assuming that some, one of them at least may have come from the, the previous directors was the, when, uh, Kira's trying on the capes and yeah. there's so many capes. <laughs> uh, I thought that was, I thought that was pretty funny. And then when they're, they're in the salt mines. And uh, Beckett says to Han, uh, improvise. I thought you told me not to improvise. And I thought, was it, is that them making a comment about Lord and Miller who were trying to improvising <laughs> and going off script? Yeah. And, <laughs> and I was like, are they like, is this some kind of comment? Are they, they're, they're flying under the radar about what, what had transpired. You told me not to improvise. Now, you know, now you want me to improvise. Or it could anyway, be a reference. Know, it could be a reference to uh, Harrison Ford famously improvising so many of his lines and. Oh, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Our last question, gentlemen. We're burning through these. What are the implications of a cameo at the end? Speaking of continuity that we didn't bring up. Um, So there's a little guest appearance of of Darth Maul. Uh, And uh, and yeah, so what did what did you guys think? This was Skip's question, but but what did you guys think of that? Well, I joked. I was like, (laughs) he's kidding. I said, it's like, oh, well, I met Warwick Davis, but I guess we could talk about Darth Maul. But it's funny because I saw that uh, I heard it's like, there's what, what about that cameo? What about that cameo at the end? I was like, oh, fuck. All right. All right. I mean, oh, shoot. Uh, I'm So now I'm looking for this cameo. And so it's like Clint Howard. It's like, oh, well, clear. Surely that's not Clint Howard. Like, like of course he's going to be. It. it wasn't him. And I was like, oh, Warwick Davis. Oh, that's cool. I'm like, oh, he has a line. All right. Okay, I'm not blown away. And then I was like, oh, Earth Mall. I thought it was cool. Uh, uh, I, I guess I got a raised eyebrow for me. I was a little disappointed that it wasn't Peter Serafin who was doing the voice. Because he does. He has like one of my favorite voices in all of Hollywood. It wasn't him. It was Sam Witwer who does the voice on the cartoons. But I think it has clear implications for what they're going to do with the upcoming Obi-Wan movie. Um, that's the main thing. Yes. You have more faith that they have their act together than I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I don't. No, I think that's what they're setting up. I think that's exactly what they're setting up. Yeah, I, I think they're trying to turn this in. They're they're looking over and seeing what Marvel's doing, and they're going, you know, I think we can do this with ours. We're gonna bring it. We're gonna start setting stuff up for the next film, so that way people are getting prepared, and they, they you know, they, they as soon as they drop on they 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 get on this train, they're gonna want to go to the. How did you feel about the next game? film? So I think you're right. You know, when uh, the Phantom Menace came out, uh, I'm not, I don't consider myself a huge, like, crazed Star Wars fan. You guys are definitely, uh, uh, you know, more nerdier for this for this franchise. I, I never watched one of the animated shows or anything. I, you know, I've just seen the movies. Uh, and I wanted to be there with those crazed people, though, when that came out. And I was there at a 1 o'clock in the morning <laughs> screening before they started having these Thursday nights. And the crawl starts. Everybody's jumping for joy and having fun and then nothing. And I was looking around like, like nobody is making any noise throughout this whole film until Darth Maul showed up and everybody went nuts. And then of course I thought he was dead. <laughs> so I thought the one moment everybody's having fun and you just got rid of that character. What are you doing? And then of course he's back and he's got, uh, you know, I, I actually was happy to see him because I think he would make a, make a great villain uh, in the series. but. If they're trying to do something different, I'm not quite sure if they need him, if they want that in there um, to bring back the mojo from the, the, from the prequels, uh, the bad mojo from those prequels where people didn't really care for him. But uh, if, unless they can write the ship on that character, I, I, I was kind of, I thought it was kind of cool to see him. So that's what I thought. Yeah, I think it's funny because there, there was one commercial that they had for Phantom Menace uh, before it came out uh, that had a bunch of voiceover by Sarah Finowitz as right uh, as a uh, Darth Maul that had a million times more character development for that character than the actual movie did. And it was actually what got me excited. Yeah. And that's for me, it's continuity. It's it's that's Canon. Like when I look back. So I think if they can capture that, uh, he'll be a good villain, yeah. but in the movie itself and Phantom Menace, like he's well, nothing. He's- He's really. Cool. I mean, he looks. He looks cool. Yeah, and that's I mean, pretty much it. He's not cool because yeah. he's got a great character arc because he has nothing. Yeah. Um, but he is really. He's you know I mean so as my son was was quite young when um they re released the Phantom Menace in 3D and it was it was the same year as Avengers and I took my son to see both of those movies in the theater and I asked him which one he liked better which was a test. Uh. And he said he liked Phantom Menace better. And I asked why. I was very curious. And he said, uh, blue lightsabers and Darth Maul. And I was like, okay, I accept that answer. Like, okay. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, Darth Maul just, there's such a visceral sort of reaction to the way that he looks and the way that he moved. And he really, he was the only part of Phantom Menace that felt really threatening. and honestly, maybe the only part in the entire prequel trilogy that felt really threatening. Um, and I remember, I remember James, when I first saw it, the, the same thing, when he got, when he got killed, I was like, son of a, like, the one <laughs> part of this movie that I liked, they just took off the map, and now I have nothing to look forward to in the, in the, the next one, which uh, seems well-founded. Um, but, <clears throat> 
but uh but I don't know for me in in this movie it really took me out of the film because I was just like wait is that Darth Maul or is it another Zabrick um uh you know character um and then and then I was like wait how does he fit into this like and I know they I know they're doing stuff in the in the cartoons with him but it seemed like I wasn't really used to those things crossing over so so directly um and so for me like I watched the cartoons but I I don't know it was it was a big sort of disconnect for me I you know this and even the second time I saw it I was still kind of like this is just weird because it's really the whole, that scene is all about <laughs> the end of Kira's arc there you know it's like her big decision mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden i'm just like and darth maul and it like it to me it just undercut that was that was actually the one scene i felt really didn't didn't work well i yeah i was expecting her to betray han uh and as well as beckett because i i expected that that's where we would really get the the person that we would see in the new hope or the han solo in the new hope where he wouldn't trust anybody and he wouldn't necessarily, you know, you know, I, I, I was a little surprised that she didn't do that. And, uh, um, but, uh, that's, that was my expectation. So I don't know. I don't know. I I'm, I'm assuming it, it worked for a lot of people, but, uh, I was hoping that she was like, I hate, I hate to say that. I was hoping she was going to betray him, <laughs> uh, cause I thought that was gonna, that was the, the I thought he was going to turn into the character that, that we knew from the hoop. I, I didn't feel that way at the end of this movie. Uh, I didn't feel, just by Beckett trying to, you know, get the coaxium that that that's what did it. So, but who knows? Maybe there's another movie where we're going to get a little bit more of that, and we can really see why he doesn't trust people. He's a loner. Yeah, he's uh, he's solo. I don't know if you. I don't know. I if know. You up on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's those. Yes, it's like it's like Top Gun, where it's it's the Iceman and Maverick. Uh, he's Maverick. He is a Maverick. So that's his. Monica. Anyway. Oh, oh, Han Solo. <laughs> oh, now, oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I did really like Paul Bettany, by the way. I liked, uh, he was a better villain than I expected. I liked him a lot. I liked the way they, I liked the way they handled him in the sense that, you know, we didn't need to know why he had all those scars. We didn't get his, you know, backstory. We didn't get, he, he was just there. He was the, he was the antagonist. He was the one that was the threatening to them if they, if they didn't pull this heist off. And uh, I appreciated that. You know, uh, some of the other films when they're going to Kylo Ren and we're getting all his story and then we're, we go we go back to the island and then we go back to, you know, Princess Leia and what's going on there. And I felt like we're all over the place here with three or four different storylines going on. I, what I, One of the reasons why I like this movie is it was pretty straightforward in its storytelling. And I thought that, that that did some justice for this franchise that I I think is a bit problematic with some of the other films. Yeah, I I, I liked that as well. Um, and I I actually I'm glad you brought up um that character again because it is uh Bentley's performance and 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 it's the way it's written too. Uh, but but the way they handle that that character, it is the best depiction of corporate management. I have ever 
<laughs> scene. Like, I love when he's like, oh, are you okay? I'm sorry about the... Yeah, girl, yeah, yeah. Your girlfriend. Clearly, yeah. he doesn't care. But, like, yeah. you're just paying the lip service. And it's like, I've known so many people that are exactly oh, yeah. that. That's that great. Just like, it's... Oh, how are the kids? Okay, great. So, like, I need you to do this favor for me. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> oh, oh, it's so slimy. It just makes you hate him. I hated him. I hated yeah. him. And I loved, I loved the whole feel of his yachts. Like the whole atmosphere it was very like kind of Fritz Long Weimar Republic kind of thing. Like uh, it was like a very fancy Jabba's palace. You know, it's just very like I, I, I really like that part of it. And it's funny too. I didn't realize that that part was originally supposed to be played by Michael K. Williams, uh, in a, a yeah. fully like CGI like creature, which was would have been quite different. I actually, I would love to have seen the whole the the original. I would have loved to seen Lord Miller's version of this, honestly. Yeah, I think it would have been very different, uh, clearly, because obviously they were created differently, as I'm as I'm told by by anyone that that actually will say anything. It's just like, oh, it was created like this, um, you know. And I did not pay attention to like what was going on on the set, you know. And and but you know, Rogue One had had uh, had severe issues, bunch of well, reshoots, reshoots, and all sort of stuff, and. Yeah. And they brought on Tony Gilroy. Yeah, they, uh, but it really wasn't publicized. We really didn't know that much about it compared to what was going on with this. Yeah, one. Well, yeah. I just thought it was strange that 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 that's been one of the things people have pointed to was like, well, this is why this movie isn't, you know, getting the attention or whatever. And I'm like, well, I don't know. That you know, Rogue One got plenty of attention and had the same. Like, I didn't detect much of a difference. I mean, it, maybe you guys were paying attention more, and and it was a bigger deal than it seemed like a bigger deal than it was for Rogue One. I was also, I think one okay. of the things was Alden Ehrenreich getting such bad early reports, which really saddened and surprised me because I love that guy. Like he was so good in Hail Caesar. He's one of my favorite parts of that movie. And uh, it was kind of crushing to me because I'm like, I was, that was one of the things I was really looking forward to him. The other thing being, you know, Donald Glover. Um, but so that was like really disheartening. And I was like, that was one of the reasons I was, I also was not going to see it opening weekend, but. Skid, come on. Your favorite part of Hell Caesar was Channing Tatum in that bar scene, <laughs> the musical That scene. was phenomenal. But... <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew it. Okay. You're old now. You were afraid to you're say right. it, but I, I brought you're it right. on you, buddy. You're right. <laughs> My second favorite thing in Hell Caesar was Alden Ehrenreich. <laughs> but he really is so uh, good yeah. in that movie. I just love him. I just love that kid. And just, yeah, so... I thought his performance was good. I, liked I did it. too. I thought I it was. It, it felt like it felt like Han Solo, but it didn't feel like he was imitating Harrison Ford. Which, yeah. which it felt it felt to me like he walked that line just about right. You know, you know, years from now, people are going to watch this one before they watch the the trilogy. You know, I made it, and they're going to go, "That's my Han Solo," and they're going to then watch. Harrison Ford, and they're gonna, and it's gonna be this weird thing where they're gonna try to figure out, you know, because yeah, I remember like growing up watching the TV show Mash, and then going back, you know, <laughs> years later and watching the movie, and I'm like going, that's not yeah. Hawkeye. <laughs> what the heck is that? Alan Sutherland's not Alan Alda. This is weird. Yeah. What is this? The tone is completely wrong. This is not the TV show. So, um, you know, there'll be people at some point will go, will not even consider, you know, the the weird comparison stuff that they're doing now with, oh, he, he can't fill the shoes of Harrison Ford. Well, he shouldn't try to do that. He should do his own thing. Right. We've learned anything from the Bond movies, for crying out loud. You you do your Bond. 
and uh, not trying to do Sean Connery's Bond. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And actually, um, my 10-year-old said this was his favorite Star Wars movie that he's seen so far. And I, th- and I think that had a lot to do with that pacing that we talked about earlier, that like new things kept happening and they kept going to new places and it just it moves quick. And one of the, you know, the, the only thing about last Jedi that, that, um, that, that, you know, I really felt coming out of it the first time that was, was negative. Generally speaking, I liked that movie quite a bit, but it, the pacing was a little slow. Um, and, and so I was glad that this one just like, it, it moves, it just keeps going. And I, I really liked that a lot. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, Kid, you want to go first? What y'all think of the robot? Oh God, that's right. We didn't even cover L three. Um, you know that it seemed like it was a little. <laughs> it just there was something about the way it moved. It seemed too flu fluid, mm-hmm. like that 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 kind of caught me right off the bat. And I'm like, going, listen, I, I've I've seen C three PO and he comes later. Why does not C three PO move like you know like this? Like you know, I don't know. There was. The, the whole and then the personality of it, it, it seemed it seemed weird, actually. I realized it was there for comic relief and uh, and uh, but, um, uh, you know, I, I'm not one of those people who completely hated the L3, but uh, uh, I don't know. There was just moments where I thought it was a little too much. It's not close to Jar Jar Bain. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah, it didn't. <laughs> it didn't reach that level. But Yeah, I actually thought L3 was pretty funny and and and. You know, the the whole idea that L3, like, like I think what made that work for me, uh, like, I think I would have thought it was pretty funny without this, but but what did actually make it work as part of the movie was was the relationship that L3 had with, with Lando, um, which I thought was really funny that they set it up and, and you know, Kira's, like, rolling her eyes at, at L3. And then it turns out that there's actually some, not exactly what she was saying, but there's something to it. Like when Lando like freaks out. <laughs> yes. Like I actually thought that was a really good misdirect and, and it was pretty heartfelt, you know? And I did think, I did think Donald Glover was, was quite, was quite good. Yeah. You know, I've seen a lot of people say he's like the, like he steals the show and he's, he's quite good in it. Um, I didn't think he like outshined everybody else to that degree, but, but he definitely sold that. Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, I, I thought L3 did exactly what L3 was supposed to do for me. I thought, I thought L3 was funny. I thought the whole robot rebellion thing was funny, um, and cool and, and entertaining. And then I thought, you know, the, the emotional relationship with Lando was, was oddly touching. So yeah, I liked it. How about you, Skid? Uh, it didn't quite work for me i did like the robot rebellion i liked her being uh an advocate for <laughs> robot liberation <laughs> but uh i just thought it was funny i thought it was like is that tilda swinton and then, that's what i thought too I, but i realized you know what the reason i think that is because it's a robot like if it wasn't a robot like i just i wouldn't <laughs> automatically assume it's tilda swinton but, <laughs> but <laughs> what do you think about her performances <laughs> but uh <laughs> no, it's like I, I like the look of the robot. I thought, you know, oh, it's kind of cute that they're. She thinks they're gonna have sex. I guess I don't know. Um, <laughs> it wasn't what I was expecting. I will say that. 
because I've said before, I think I've said before, my favorite ever Star Wars character in any story is uh, HK-47 in the old uh, Knights of the Old Republic video games. It was like um, basically like a, a homicidal C-3PO. Um, and uh, the the one we got in Rogue One was, was fairly close, but I was I was expecting something more along those lines. Uh, so I guess I'm just always disappointed when he doesn't show up in a movie, but, um, <laughs> any movie yeah. ever, right? Like you go to see a, Western any movie ever. And you're like, ah, damn it. HK didn't show up. Especially Blade Runner. I was like, well, this would have been perfect. <laughs> no, just short. <clears throat> yeah. 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 No, I, no, I agree. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's funny though. It, it it's amazing to me that in, in this conversation, we've, we've referenced so many other like aspects of, of this franchise and how they affect how we view any new piece, any new component that, that comes out. Like, like there's so many different aspects of this franchise, so many different ways in which fans interact with it or, or even more to the point, become fans with in it or with it, of it, of it. That that everybody's bringing different Star Wars baggage, and so I think you know I think one of the things that they you know the the focus on you know sort of the Force Awakens was trying to get fandom all on the same page, and I think that I mm-hmm. I think I think there's still a struggle with that with with the franchise, and I think that's one of the reasons why you know we've obviously we've talked a lot about Avengers lately because we did three episodes on it but um but i think that's one of one of the advantages that marvel had was that it it didn't have all of like it could just start being what it was in the movies like it and you didn't have to read the comics there wasn't a cartoon that tied in with it it could just be what it was and fandom was on the same page from from that first iron man movie and and star wars can't can't do that um I think that's something that the franchise is still sort of not struggling with because it's obviously still a dynamo, but but it's having to navigate and it's and it's trying different different ways to navigate it. I'd say that as if Star Wars is a living thing, um, which it is. Um, you know, but it's, I think that's really fascinating <laughs> though because it's true. You know, I still know people that that you know that that you know love Knights of the Old Republic or. You know, they like the, you know, they like these, you know, this certain segment of the novels, which, you know, so it's just, it's really, really interesting on that level to hear, like, where where does this stuff come from that we bring with us to that movie theater? And if you really talk to people about what defines Star Wars for them, um, I think, I think you get really different, you know, different answers because of when and how they've interacted with the franchise. Yeah, that's why it's so, it's such a an impossible task because this has been happening, you know, 40 years like people have been living with this and everyone has their own and there've been so many other, you know, secondary media like I like I bring you know a lot of video games obviously into the mix. So everyone has their own expectations and desires from this thing and you cannot please everybody. There's no way to do it. So I think people, you just have to concentrate on making the best story you can, right? You know, yeah. And I and and I uh, and I I think it sounds like we all agree that this film stands on its own as a as a complete story, and that it works 
it worked well. Yeah. Probably probably not any of yes, our definitely. favorite film in the franchise, but but you know, for me it actually ranks pretty pretty high because a lot of the other ones, you know, don't don't quite do that. And I thought this one was pushing the boundaries, which I like when they push the boundaries. Even sometimes when they push boundaries yeah. unsuccessfully, I still like what they're doing. Um and I thought that this one did it successfully for the most part. Yeah, agreed. James? Yeah? Agree. Yeah. Okay, I think that wraps us up. Uh, guys, what have you got coming up next? James, what's on the docket for you? In uh, a few weeks, uh, June 21st, I'm teaching screenwriting on screenexperience.com. Uh, it's six classes. You're going to learn a lot about how to write a screenplay. It's going to be great. And uh, check out screenexperience.com and you will in enjoy it and have a great time learning about screenwriting. Awesome. Skid, what's up for you? Uh, well, as soon as we're done here, I plan to enter a medically induced coma for about three days. <laughs> uh, and then otherwise, go over to www.glasscannonpodcast.com to check out all the podcasts that we're doing over there. Uh, and um, there was something else, but I forgot. Oh, I also wanted to say, may the force not be with you because it's not in this movie. Oh, <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, came up with yeah. That. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no go ahead. Go ahead I'm just going to say he came up with that when he was drinking. So uh, anyway. That's right. <laughs> so don't, don't, don't trust anything I've said here today. That's the other message. Yeah, I am taking a, a nice reprieve from traveling across the country, um, going to all these different shows. So uh, my kids are home on summer break. And it turns out that if all you do is travel and you don't do a whole lot of work, that your work piles up. So I've got a bunch of deadlines um, for a whole bunch of stuff I have to write. So I am going to be out of the public eye. But the big thing coming out on June 16th for me is the Comics Experience Guide to Writing Comic Books. Uh, which you can, which you can already pre-order online at your major uh, book retailers, um, and uh, and it's a it's a deep dive into how to write comics, which obviously is a big thing that I do. I go around to conventions and give talks about comics writing, comics art, comic storytelling, um, and of course at Comics Experience, uh, we offer comics writing and art courses. You've been listening to Pages to Pictures, brought to you by ScreenExperience.com and ComicsExperience.com. Please leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks.